if you'd take your Bibles and uh, open them up in Luke chapter 15, please. Luke chapter 15, as we come to that passage for the last time this morning, we spent um, five weeks in Luke chapter 15 looking at uh, the earlier parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and, uh, and then coming to this parable of the prodigal son, and we're going to finish our time uh, in that this morning. Uh, it's the passage that Grant read to us a little bit earlier, so we're not going to read it again, but please keep it open before you as we uh, consider this passage this morning under the heading of the loving Father. Uh, this is the, the final time this morning that we're going to be considering this parable of the prodigal son. Uh, the parable has been called the greatest short story of all time and the pearl and the crown of all Jesus' parables. Uh, it is possibly one of the most well-known Bible stories, and as we said a few weeks ago, this could easily occupy us for another three or four weeks to really try and plumb the depths of all the riches contained uh, in this parable. But this morning, I want us to think about why this is such a profound story. Why is it given all the praise and all the attention that it gets? Is it because, like any good story, we are intrigued by the social dynamic between the father and his two sons. Is it because like a, a soap opera, we want to know what the neighbors said to each other when the prodigal son took his father's money and ran off to a foreign land? What gossip uh, was going around when the news got back that he had been spending all the father's money on, on prostitutes and wild living? Is that why we are so caught up with the story? Or is it perhaps the greatest of all short stories and the pearl and the crown uh, of all the parables because this parable reveals to us more clearly than any other the incredible beauty and character and the heart of love of the God of the universe. And that, I propose, must be our conclusion this morning, because although, yes, we've learned a lot about the prodigal son, we've learned a lot about the older brother, we've, we've seen ourselves in both of those two men, I think as we come to this parable as a whole, and in fact, as we look at all three of the parables in Luke chapter 15 viewed together, we cannot help but marvel at the depth of what God's Word is saying to us about the person and the character and the love of God the Father towards us as lost sinners. And so we're going to spend our final session today looking at what this parable has to say to us about God the Father and about His immeasurable love for sinners. But I want to remind you that one of the purposes that Jesus told the parables was to divide. We've seen this in every parable so far. Each story has divided all mankind into one of two groups. And this parable is no different, but it may not be as obvious as we think. The problem with this parable is that we don't have a choice between the good guy and the bad guy, as most of the other parables have given us. What we have here is a choice between one type of bad guy and another type of bad guy. 
And perhaps this is one of the, the hidden mysteries which Jesus sought to reveal to us through this parable, namely that we all need to come to the realization that we either identify ourselves with the younger prodigal son or we identify ourselves with the older religious brother. Or perhaps you may be sitting here and say, you know what, I can see myself in both. Jesus is revealing to us that every one of us who is outside of a relationship with the Father is lost and needs to be found. And so perhaps, I don't know all of you uh, that well, but perhaps your journey started off like the younger prodigal son in open rebellion to God in your youth. And although you have returned to God at some point in your life and you were adopted into his family as we've just sung, yet over time you must admit that the memories of the pigsty and the depths to which you had sunk and the, the wonderful time of restoration that you experienced when you were brought back to God, well, those memories have faded. And slowly but surely over the years, you have become more and more like the older brother. You forget all the privileges of sonship and you have fallen in your heart into that state of religious duty of a slave. Perhaps your story is the opposite this morning. Perhaps you started off in life as a good little boy, a good little girl in a Christian home. You were a model Sunday school student. You've still got the certificates of all the memory verse competitions that you won every year. And you continued in this kind of good behavior mode for many years through high school, into university, when your friends were, were going off the rails, you stayed good and moral and upright. And yet, as you look back, you've come to resent God for not having delivered the stuff that you thought he would give to you. And so although you have not yet openly rebelled against him, you are increasingly growing cold in your affections towards God and the choice of the younger brother to run away from God is starting to look increasingly all the more attractive. I think the point that Jesus wants us to see in this parable is that all of us are lost in one way or another. All of us in some way are either like the, older, uh, like, like the younger prodigal son or we are like the older resentful religious moral brother today. And so all of us, no matter where we are at spiritually, we need to be reminded this morning, we need to be specifically taught about the incredible love of God the Father towards both of his lost sons. And so in the first place today, I want us to look at the love of the Father for the prodigal son. And that really takes up verses 11 to 24. Uh, and there are a number of facets of this loving father seen in the way that he treated the, the younger, resentful, uh, sorry, wasteful, prodigal son. And in the first place, we see that he blessed an ungrateful son in verse 11 and 12. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Now, humanly speaking, according to the, the culture of the day, what the father should have done in response to the son's 
request of utter disrespect in, in wishing that his father were dead so that he could get his inheritance, what the father should have done was to give him a right slap across the cheeks and to banish him from the family homestead. That is what the younger son deserved. That is what would have been expected of the father in that culture. But instead, we see that the father treated this ungrateful and disrespectful son with incredible patience. Dare we say it, blessing. Look at that in verse 12. The father did not retaliate. He did not refuse. He actually blessed his son with the request by subdividing the property and giving everything to his son which he requested. Now this must ring a note of self-identification surely with each of us this morning as we look back over our own lives. And we see how often we have been ungrateful to God, how often we have treated God with, with utter disrespect. Perhaps you may have even gone so far as to wish that God was dead to you. And yet, as you look back over your life, you see that God has not treated you as your sins deserve. Instead, He has blessed us. He has blessed us with so much that we do not deserve, and He has often even given to us the things that we thought we wanted. Just think back for a moment at the blessings that you have received in your life up to this point from the hand of God. And then think about your sinful heart. Think about your failings. Think about your rejection of God so often, your embarrassment before your friends to be identified with Christ, your lukewarmness in your relationship to God, your poor discipline in, in prayer and, and reading the scriptures. And yet, despite all of that, God has not dished out to you the punishment that your sins deserve. But he has continued to bestow upon you the blessings of grace upon grace, which you certainly did not deserve. What an amazing God, a God who blesses us despite our sinfulness with countless grace upon grace. But secondly, then, we see that the loving father, he watched for an unhappy son in verse 20. After the son had wasted all the father's inheritance and, and blessing on, on sinful and wild living and then coming to his senses in the pigsty of life, he gets up to return to his father to request that he can now become a slave or, or a hired servant. But we are told in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Isn't this a wonderful insight into the, the heart uh, of compassion in God? God is our creator. God is our heavenly father. He knows full well that giving us the things of this world will never, ever satisfy us if we are outside of a relationship with him. Because God has made us in his image. He's made us to find our true joy and our true happiness in a right relationship with him. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What an incredible statement of biblical insight into the heart of man. Do you wanna know why your heart is restless? 
Augustine says, because it has not yet found its rest in God. The father knew that the son would squander his possessions. The father knew that those things would never satisfy. They would prove to be empty and transient. He knew that the son would soon end up in in misery as a result of pursuing the passions of his heart. He knew it. So do we see the father sitting on the porch of his house, brewing in bitterness over his son's rejection and, and waiting to tell the son, I told you so? Absolutely not. We find the exact opposite is true. We find a a loving and gracious and compassionate father eagerly watching and and waiting for his unhappy son to return. And this is crucial for us to grasp today as, as we try to align our thinking about God with the word of God. God is not some vindictive deity who who sits up in heaven looking for any opportunity to punish and rebuke us. No, rather we see that he is a loving heavenly father, a God who although he knows all about our sinful choices, all the, the misery that they will cause us, and although he warns us again and again and again in his in his word not to pursue that path, Nevertheless, he remains a father who is watching and waiting for us to return from our unhappiness to find our true happiness in our relationship with with him. Thirdly, then, we also see that on returning, the loving father reinstated an unworthy son. We see that in verse 20 and then again in verse 22 to 24. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. Then verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Verse 21 shows us that the son knew where he stood before the father. He was totally unworthy of being received back as a son. He knew that not too long ago he had wished his father to be dead. He had desired life without his father And so after coming to his senses, he knew that the only hope of of ever making it up to the father in some way was was to return as a slave, to work back for his father all that he had squandered, not that that would have ever been possible. Nevertheless, unworthy and undeserving as he was, what do we find? The father runs to him. This was totally something totally against the culture of the day for the superior to approach the inferior, for the older to run towards the younger. This was not done, but this father doesn't care about the the cultural norms, about acting in a way which preserves his dignity, and so he picks up the hem of his long robe, and he runs to meet his unworthy son, and he embraces him, and he kisses him, and he reinstates him to the full rights of sonship once more. How do we know that? Well, we see that he instructs the servant to bring him the best robe. This refers to clothes which would have only been worn by the family. 
He puts the family signet ring on his son's finger. Again, a, a sign of sonship. And then he puts shoes on his feet because only the slaves went around barefoot. And then he calls together this great feast, this celebration in honor and restoration of the son to the father. I want you to see that from the father's perspective, a resurrection from the dead had taken place in verse 24. The son of mine was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a wonderful description that is of being a Christian, isn't it? From being dead to God and all things spiritual and now being alive to God and fully restored to this position of sonship, adoption, from being lost to God's grace, now being found and brought into the, the very heart of the fullness of God's grace in the terms of his, his family and, and the rights and the privileges of sonship. What an incredible insight Jesus is giving us here into the heart of God towards lost sinners. So let's think about applying this, this first point to ourselves today. Have you experienced the, the blessing, the abundant blessing of God to you as an ungrateful son or daughter? Have you personally known the all-patient, ever-searching eyes of God pursuing you in your unhappiness and in your misery, waiting for an unhappy child to return? And have you been welcomed back, reinstated into the family of God, despite your realization that you are totally unworthy? If not, then the only reason is because you have not returned to the Father. God's word is challenging us today to think very hard about whether or not we have truly repented and whether we have truly returned. Perhaps you are still out there lost in your prodigal wanderings. You are dead to the amazing, unconditional love of God toward you this morning. And my prayer is that you would come to your senses that you would come to a right mind, and only God can do that. And so I pray, as God's word urges you this morning, that you would return, that you would repent and receive this great love of the heavenly Father for you this morning, no matter who you are. But let's move on in the second place then to consider the love of the Father for the older brother. And we see this in verse 25 to 32. And you'll remember last time we looked at the older brother in some detail and, and came to see that he was actually just as lost, if not even more lost, than the younger brother. Because he lived his life with this deep resentment towards the father. All of his motives and attitudes were underpinned by selfish pride. This pride of self-reliance, the pride of, of self-righteousness. And so we saw that he too simply just wanted the father's stuff. He did not want the father. And sadly, there are many very good, moral, so-called Christians in the church today who suffer from this older brother syndrome. It, it's a, a spirit of legalism, of, of judgmentalism, a, a self-righteous, critical spirit which comes from despising the grace of God and seeking to, to earn acceptance with God through our own performance. Well, against 
the reality of this older brother hypocrisy, this older brother syndrome? What do we learn about the love of the father from this parable? Well, I want you to see that we find a father entreating a disgruntled son in verse 28. And we saw this last time, the, the lack of submission, the lack of respect which the older brother had in treating the father in these verses. But what we find here is, is just like when the, old, uh, when the younger brother acted so poorly and acted so disrespectfully against the father and was blessed nevertheless, here we see that the older brother, in his disrespectful attitude, is entreated with incredible grace. The father entreats the older son to come in, verse 28. The word here refers to pleading earnestly, passionately for his son to come in. To come into what? To come into the celebration of the father's grace. Just like the father had welcomed the, the wayward prodigal back into his grace, he was doing exactly the same here with the older son. He was coming to a lost sinner, and he was pleading with him to enter into his grace so that he could enjoy the wonderful celebration of the father's love. And so here we see that this issue is, is very definitely a salvation issue. It's not okay to be an older brother Christian. Because Paul tells us in Romans 11 that we are saved by grace. And if it is by grace, then it cannot be by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. In other words, the Bible teaches us there's only two options to get right with God, grace and works. And God has gone to great lengths across all the storyline of the Bible to prove to us that we can never, ever, ever be accepted by God on the basis of works. We are sinners and perfection is impossible. And so our only hope of salvation is the grace of a loving father, grace to forgive our sins, grace to grant us salvation as this undeserved free gift. And if salvation is by grace, then it cannot ever be by works. But the older brother's heart is diseased with the sin of religious pride. Because he is impressed with his own performance, he feels that he is deserving of God's blessing. And so God at this point has every right to come to, to each one of us who have this kind of older brother self-righteousness and to judge us in our sin according to our performance. And if God were to do that today, if God were to come and to judge you according to your performance, judge me according to my performance, who could stand? What does the psalmist say in Psalm 130? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you, O Lord, should keep a record of wrongs, who could stand? And the answer is clear, no one. There is no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. But instead we see the Father coming out to the Son, he goes to where the son is at. He faces the son in his sinfulness, in his religious pride, and he earnestly pleads with him to enter into his grace. So I need to ask you today, have you felt this passionate pleading of the Holy Spirit calling you in your religiosity, in your self-righteousness, to enter into his grace? 
have you responded by surrendering your sinful pride to God in repentance? And here I'm particularly speaking to those men and women who are self-made. You've accomplished everything in life. You've worked hard. You've reached the pinnacle. But it's resulted in this inner selfish pride that resents the grace of God. You have not found your rest in Him. Are you still standing on the outside, feeling that God owes you something? In the second place, we also see that the loving father encouraged a disillusioned son in verse 31. And here we see something amazing about the love of God in the Bible. He meets us where we are at. He understands that we are but broken vessels of clay, and he meets us in our weakness. This older son was, was clearly disillusioned. All his labors for his father, according to his measurement, had come up empty. He hadn't even received so much as a, as a goat to, to celebrate with his friends. He was in the, the spiritual doldrums of discouragement. Look at what serving God has got me. Nothing. My brother gets to go and have all the fun. He gets to squander the family estate, and now he gets the party. But all my labors and efforts have produced nothing. Now, I want us to think very carefully here because this attitude is all too common among many genuine Christians who've lost sight of the grace of God in their lives. And so the application here is meant to be a real encouragement to us this morning. I want you to see that the father does not judge the son in the sinful, foolish thinking of his. He does not brush him aside in his disillusionment and say, well, that's nonsense, that's ridiculous. Who do you think you are? Look at what he does. He comes alongside him and encourages him in verse 31. My son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Doesn't this just blow you away? It really should. God comes to you and to me this morning, we who so easily think that God owes us something because of all that we've done for him. He didn't give us that promotion or answer to prayer, and so now we feel cheated. We feel resentment, and we get into this kind of sulk mode, just like the older brother, and we ask, well, what's the point of being a Christian? God comes to us in our sinfulness, in our spiritual depression, and he says, my son, my daughter, I want you to know that I am always with you. Everything I have, I've given to you in Christ. You have everything. Don't you see that? All that is mine is yours. As Paul says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Elijah is such a good illustration of this, an example of this. When after the spiritual high, you'll recall on Mount Carmel, after slaying the prophets of Baal in that massive fire from heaven showdown, Queen Jezebel threatens to kill him. And so he runs for his life, and he ends up in total depression and disillusionment in the middle of the wilderness, and he wishes that he was dead. He has suicidal thoughts, and God comes to him where he is at. He goes out into the wilderness, 
And he says to me, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah moans and he says, Lord, I've done everything to serve you, but now all the prophets have been killed and I'm the only one left and now they want to kill me too. Woe is me, the older brother. And we find that God comes and he displays his great power to Elijah in in a mighty wind and then in an earthquake and then in fire. And after showing Elijah his incredible might, God comes to Elijah in a soft whisper and encourages Elijah to enter into his grace because God has not forsaken him. Have you come to know the encouragement of God to you in the soft whispers of his Holy Spirit pleading with you to enter into his grace? Not only does God entreat us in our disgruntlement and encourage us in our disillusionment, but we see also that the Father enlightens a deluded son in verse 32. You see, what we learn here is that whenever we take our eyes off the grace of God in our salvation, the minute we think that that we can earn God's merit or favor through our own doings, we reveal that our heart has been deceived that we are deluded. We've believed the lie of the devil that says that we can work our way into favor with God. And so we see that God comes here and he enlightens this older brother. The father enlightens him back to the truth. Look at verse 32. He tells the older son, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. There's a teaching moment taking place here. Ultimately, the solution to the older brother syndrome is to see the grace of God in the gospel and to realize that celebration of God's grace is always right. It's, it's always fitting to celebrate. And what we don't see at this point, what the older brother doesn't yet realize is that the same heart of God which was celebrating over the return of the prodigal son is waiting in eager anticipation to celebrate over the return of this lost older brother too. There is great rejoicing in heaven, we saw earlier, over one lost sinner who repents, whether that one lost sinner is a younger prodigal or an older brother. But the key to both repenting is to have the eyes of their heart enlightened to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to have this veil of darkness, of, of deception lifted to see the wonderful truth of God's grace in saving sinners. And so we've seen a lot about the the love of the father already in this parable, both towards the younger son and towards the older son. And we need to draw this whole section to a close. And and we cannot end this parable until we've seen one more thing. So here's a crucial question. Let me ask you this. How is it possible for God to accept a, a wayward prodigal son like you or me back into his family as a son or a daughter? How is that possible? How is it possible that God can accept a self-righteous, proud, older brother or older sister Christian like you or me back into his grace this morning? After all that we've done in rebellion and pride and 
rejection and resentment of the grace of God. All that we've done to dishonor his holy name, how is it possible that God can still love you and love me the way he does? Well, the answer is found in our final point, and that is seen in the love of the Father. Okay, we've gone on one too far there. The love of the Father in his perfect Son. There's the answer. Verse 1 and 2, let's go back to the beginning of these three parables. Don't ever forget that these three parables were told together. And we've read these verses each week. Luke 15, verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners, there's the prodigals, they were drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, there's the older brother, they were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable you see that there is another brother in the story. But we've missed him, perhaps, because he's not mentioned in the story, because he is the perfect oldest brother who is telling the story. Jesus Christ is our true older brother, the only begotten son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the answer to the question, how can God love you, welcome you, accept you as a sinner back into his family is only found when we understand the relationship of God the Father to his perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we won't find the answer in our immediate passage, but Jesus, who is telling the story, knew that we would see the rest of the picture unfold in the remaining chapters of Luke's gospel. The reason God can welcome the prodigal son and the older brother back into his presence, the reason he can welcome you and me this morning into his family is because the father has already sent away his perfect son from his presence. God sent Jesus away so that you and I might be brought near. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 that Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God the Father sent his only begotten Son away from the glories of heaven away from his presence in heaven, so that through his sacrifice, for our sins, we might be brought near. The reason the father accepts the lost and sinful son into his arms is because the true oldest brother was rejected in our place. The sins which should have rightly driven us from the presence of God were laid upon his perfect son and he was rejected for our sin so that we might be accepted. The reason the prodigal son and his older brother are fully forgiven for all their sin, all their rebellion, is because the ultimate older brother, the one telling the story, was punished in their place. He took upon himself in his body on the cross, as we've just remembered this morning, the full penalty for your sin and mine. He drank the full cup of God's wrath in our place so that we could be forgiven. The reason the prodigal son was resurrected from the dead is because the life of God's perfect son was given over to death in order to purchase our resurrection. Jesus died in our place 
so that we might be given eternal life. This is the amazing love of God towards us in Jesus. And so then as I close this morning, you only have two options, as with all the parables. And these two options present you with eternally different perspectives on this life and the life to come. But the division this morning is not to decide if you are the prodigal son today or if you are the older brother. That's not the choice that you've got to make today. The division in this parable is, are you outside the Father's grace or are you in? If you are still outside the Father's grace, you will stand before the judgment seat of God one day according to your performance in this life and you will not stand. Or today you can enter into the full and free grace of God which is offered to you in the salvation of Lord Jesus Christ, our true older brother, he has done everything we need to make us acceptable and loved and eternally blessed by our heavenly Father forever. So the choice is yours today. Are you outside or are you in? Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we cannot do justice to a portion of scripture like this in 40 minutes because this topic of the love of God for us as sinners is so massive. It's so awe-inspiring. It's so much bigger than our hearts or our minds could ever grasp. And that is fundamentally because it is spiritual. And to see and understand the love of God fully, we need eyes of faith, And we need hearts that are not tainted by sin in order to fully grasp your love for us in Christ. So we want to thank you today for your Holy Spirit who lifts the veil of darkness from the hearts and the minds of those who are still deluded and deceived. We pray that you would do that even this morning right here, those watching online, that if that spirit of delusion that leaves hearts cold to this incredible teaching of the love of God for us as lost sinners, if that is not warming the heart and stirring us to worship, we pray that your Holy Spirit would would penetrate our hearts deep, reveal our rebellious sinfulness, cause us to come to our senses, we pray, that we might see and embrace and love you as we ought. We want to thank you that the Holy Spirit is the one who stirs up within us the cry of Abba, Father. Lord, we pray that that would be the cry of every one of us today as we come to you as our heavenly Father and we receive the grace that you give to every single one of us. Forgive us, Lord, so many of us for having fallen into this state of older brother syndrome where we've started to rely on our own works and our own religiosity and our own performance to to feel like you owe us something. Lord, won't you this morning help us to enter into your rest? Won't you help us to find our true rest in you today and in you alone? So we ask that your word over these last couple weeks as we've looked at these three parables together would accomplish in us this purpose of drawing all of us in, that none of us would run away from the grace of God being extended to us. We pray that you would do this in our hearts, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.